basically we win as a team, we lose as a team. And, and how can we decide to be and be a more effective part of the team? And that that's pretty near and dear to my heart. There's nothing better than a high functioning team. Um, but it's hard to get there. And how do we all pull the rope in the same direction? So that, that was sort of advice I gave, but to get everybody there, including myself, right? We, again, back to this idea that we all have dug in paradigms and, and, and to listen to each other and to empathize and to work together of, of the biggest bottlenecks to the next layer and level of success. Um, but yeah, that, that'd be my answer and getting there, advising versus getting there are two different things. And it doesn't matter what, what the advice is, right? So, we all gotta we all gotta do our part. Swine. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Eastman works with you to accelerate your nutritional program innovation. Start your journey with us at Eastman.com. Feedflow. Feed is too expensive to ignore. Take control with Feedflow. Adiseo is a worldwide leader in animal nutrition, providing nutritional solutions and services which fuel predictable profits. AB Vista. New nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. We have a time and labor saving product for you. AgriSlats by Healthy Farms is your solution. No more lugging jugs around the barn every month. With AgriSlats, you simply drop the slat through the floor twice a year and it works to break down solids, reduces crusting and forming. To learn more, visit MyHealthyFarms.com. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Swinet Podcast. I'm your host today, Trey Kellner, and I'm excited because today we're joined by Dr. Steve Kitt. Uh, Dr. Steve Kitt, Steve, why don't you introduce yourself and tell our listeners what, you, what you'd like to know about yourself? Sure. Yeah, Trey, thanks for having me on today. Um, I My background is uh, raised in western Iowa um, on a corn, soy pig, uh, cattle. And I, I remember even a few sheep around at one point in time. Um, and from there, uh, went to Iowa state and got a, got a degree in animal science and wasn't sh- real sure what I wanted to do at that point in time. And I had, uh, it was actually, uh, had a, a, had aspirations to be a veterinarian, like a lot of us do that were raised some time ago, um, probably before the internet, when we didn't know what else a professional would do in the livestock industry. But I had an older brother that went to grad school in agronomy and kind of coached me through the pros and cons of that. And so I ultimately started looking around for graduate school opportunities and ultimately kind of landed at uh, Nebraska, uh, kind of through the inter- interview process and, and ended up getting a master's and PhD at Nebraska. And um, from there, always knew I would want to end up in the industry really um teaching and in the academic world really probably isn't a great fit for me. Don't have those sort of skill sets. Um, and so, um, and love really the economics and, and the, uh, people 
in the industry. And so ended up uh, from there getting a job um, in the feed, a couple different stints in the feed industry, living in the Des Moines area for a while. And one through that, one of our largest uh, uh, customers was was Pillin Family Farms. And that ultimately ended up being recruited to Pillin Family Farms um, and spent eight years at Pillin Family Farms, uh, the role there, and then was really um, to internalize formulation. Um, as I was talking about research, kind of got my wish one night when a, when a farm burned down and one morning Jim came in and said, you still want your research farm? I said, yeah, why? He said, well, we've got a farm that just burned to the slats we're going to rebuild. What should we do? And so that was that was the start of at least the commercial um, research at Pill and Family Farms. Um, obviously, um, at that point in time, um, the the Pill and Family or Jim was really the 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 lead uh, of uh, Danbra Genetics, which evolved into DNA Genetics. And so during that stint, I was also um, charged with feeding the nucleus and to some degree. A, a small number of multiplication level animals. Um, then from there, um, about five, five and a half years ago, I had a consulting group that, that tapped me and asked if, if I would be interested in, in looking at something different. And so the last five and a half years uh, spent uh, with, a, with a small consulting group where basically part of our business was consulting with pork producers anywhere from formulation to, to research to looking at production numbers, barn walkthroughs, et cetera. But the other portion um, really serving as a technical advisors to, for various allied industry groups. And so that was a lot of fun, really um, reconnecting with a lot of peers in the industry um, and had a lot of fun with that. And then kind of this winter, spring, um, uh, had some discussions with the, the Pillin family and convinced me to, to come back to, to Pillins to really serve. Right now, serving is probably more of a, um, I would say, a, a on-staff consultant, if you will, really no, no direct um, vision for what the job is, but really identifying gaps, opportunities, and looking for ways to plug in um, and improve profitability and opportunities within the system. Um, in addition to that, serving on an internal commercial research um, uh, committee as well. And so that's kind of my background and live in Columbus, Nebraska, have for 13 years, um, have a beautiful wife and, and three kids. So um, life's good. So, yeah, that's awesome, Steve. So let's kind of start big picture within this conversation. So in your current role, in your past roles, You've been on internal leadership teams and you've been an external consultant. And as you, I'm sure as you're making those big decisions, a lot of teamwork's involved. And then you have to make those decisions to make sure that they're applied at the slat level. So throughout your history and career, are there two or three gleanings that you'd like to pass on to our listeners in terms of, you know, how do you make decisions? How do you work as a team to make decisions? And then how do you work as a team to implement those? Yeah, those are those are really good and oftentimes complicated questions. I would say first and foremost, it's important. I think every business has its own um, culture and style, or or maybe degree of 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 risk. And so I think it's it, and bottlenecks within its business. So I think oftentimes it's important be, before 
we start making decisions, we try to understand and, and kind of like what I'm um, doing now with Pillins is, is looking through wh- where do we, how do we benchmark relative to others? Where are cost centers? Where are profit centers? Where do we try to um, either leverage or extract more value from 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 this category versus that category. So, but back to kind of the 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 degree of of risk. You know, I find that some groups, some companies, um, you know, don't want to spend um, a, a nickel per pig without validated research. Others are more willing to take risks of maybe it's more twenty five, thirty cents a pig if you know, if that's appropriate for their business. And so I think it's really important to be aligned, I guess is my point, with the teammates and the leadership within the organization. And as a consultant, it was really important trying to fish that out and identify their comfort level. Um, I'd say that's probably equally important sooner than later to try to fish that out with, with as an employee within a business. And so I think that's critical because you end up chasing small things um, if you're not careful and not appropriate, not aligned within a business, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. So Steve, if we could drill down further on that. So one thing that I found particular is being aligned, right? Especially with the, the team culture, the company culture. As an individual within a team, how do you strike that balance between uh, providing value or maybe pointing things out without being confrontational. What what successes have you found there? Uh, what failures have you found there as well, Steve? Yeah, yeah. It, it, first off, I you know, use the word confrontational. I think confrontation is healthy right. as long as it's done right and professionally. Um, and I think it's important that that everybody kind of in the room and at the same table understands that confrontation is healthy. Um, and so that we're aligned in that regard, but yeah, so I, I think it's okay, uh, to challenge each other. Um, so for example, if you've got a business that, um, I think we'd all agree that the last two years has been pretty difficult from a standpoint of, of PERS infection rates and livability within our industry. And that's really kind of, you know, sustainability, um, you know, within the pork board and other, you know, places, um, have talked a lot about how do we improve livability within our industry. So if if that's the biggest gap and opportunity and you're a nutritionist, I've oftentimes struggled with, well, really how much influence can I have there? But I think it's okay if we look within the literature, network with other folks and, and align ourselves uh, with, say, the veterinarians are charged with improving health and livability to kind of saddle up next to them and, and figure out ways and opportunities to either research or to try and to look at opportunities. I think it's important um, with that example that even though, right, so in graduate school, we were not trained to look at um, economics real in-depthly and, and to use this livability example, um, I was never taught how to calculate the, the cost of production as it relates to mortality. But over time, through the school of hard knocks, working with business folks, you learn that that is the number one, right? I think I'm, I, I cite all the time Greg Bilbrey's presentation at Lehman Conference, I think in 2012, where it was clear that sorting through doing a regression analysis with with their with with AgriStats data, 
that that uh, mortality or said maybe in a more positive light that livability is the number one opportunity of of, of or the cost of cop uh, cost of production so but then you start kind of forcing yourself to build calculators that's one thing in grad school we 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 got pretty good at right was was excel spreadsheets to think through well what is my cost how much a cost have i accrued up until a 25 pound pig or a 50 pound pig or a, a 300 pound pig and and same way for sows and 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 you know looking at whether it's or neonates on pre-weaned mortality and so i think maybe to round out really kind of to answer your question more directly i think our skill set as a nutritionist um, isn't so much innately knowing or being trained to know how to reduce mortality, but maybe we've been trained to merge economics with uh, associated inputs or or maybe drag in performance. And so it lends us to be able to saddle up with those folks and say, well, this is the cost. Maybe you can help us or the, or the lost opportunity, you can help us if there's an investment imposed to here, you know, how do we merge those two? Is there at least a two to one ROI? Is there a three to one or five to one, whatever that might be, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense, Steve. Yeah. Thanks for that answer. So to build a little bit on your first answer as you're kind of introducing yourself, one unique thing that you did, Steve, was a kind of the first internal nutritionist and you kind of designed a research program based around production and nutrition from scratch. What did you learn through that process? And now as a, you know, kind of an internal consultant and, you know, six to nine months ago as an external consultant, how do you then view research today, whether it's academic or it's at a BSL two level facility or a big side-by-side trial that may have hundred thousand of pigs? What have you learned through kind of your research career as you've, either interpreted data or generated data yourself to then apply to feeding programs? Yeah, that's a good kind of a broad question. But um, I would say that, you know, if I go back in time, the the first research barn that, that was built at Pillen, it was important to us to try to mimic the system. And, and part of that is um, probably the first step in all of that was networking. Networking with those that have been there, done that, have built research parns, what have they done? What would have they done differently? And then ultimately it fell into like, here's our wish list, but but what what was realistic from a budget standpoint, right? So there was definitely things that got cut that, you know, in hindsight wished maybe we could have dug a little bit deeper and that sort of thing. Um, but so things like um, we wanted pen size to be at least comparable. We wanted um, stocking density to be at least comparable, but I knew in the back of my head, if anything, we were going to stock a bit tighter so that it wasn't, well, that's research. Those pigs get Oreos and and get patted on the head every day. It was also feeder style and and feeder um, space was very comparable. But again, if anything, it was going to be a little bit tighter than than the commercial system. Um, those are the sort of things. The other little things that I think everybody needs to think about is is like water style, but then like gating, right? If you're going to try to do wean to finish production, we had to retrofit and add a few more bars to the bottom of our, our gates. We also had to, you know, um, make sure the feeders were, we at least had the ability to wean pigs into those barns and, and had the appropriate equipment that way. Um, and then obviously like bins and that sort of thing. So those are getting into the granular discussion of a barn. But I would also say I have a um, 
I, I, I think there's merit in all types of research. Um, when you get into very, I, I have to be careful not to dismiss um, very academic research that gets um, a limited number of pigs per pen because I think all of us, especially those of us that are academically trained, um, realize that there's some things we can learn uh, from a mode of action, or maybe this was a maybe a screening type oriented study. So I, personally, maybe I, I quickly want to dismiss, but I think there's opportunity that we can learn from the very academic type uh, research. In fact, I've often wondered if it wouldn't be advisable as to uh, as opposed to going blowing a, a study where we only get, you know, in a given research site, you know, if we run it feeder to finish 2.4 turns a year, should we have a small site that has some screening opportunities to be able to look at whether it's some health challenge uh, stuff or these are very um, kind of pie in the sky type type questions, but we don't want to burn a, a turn on that sort of thing. Um, the other unique thing uh, we have here at Pillins that I think other systems could leverage um, is we have very big sites and say, for example, 10, uh, 1500 head barn sites. And so we have the ability to um, run A versus B. We never try to get more complicated than that. But A versus B, um, say a, a control versus an additive, for example, where if done right and as we communicate with the mill or whatever treatments we're imposing, try to do some validation that we know, uh, at least by and large, the additive in this example might might get put in correctly by testing diets after the fact. Um, to do big, uh, to do, uh, utilize the, the, either the barn or the site as the experimental unit. And I know, Trey, you've done some of that, and I don't think any of us, uh, they're not easy to pull off. One has to think about, you know, how do we, how do we block by flow how, or, or how do we do it within flow? There's a lot of things we try to account for, um, but I think there's some validity to those. Now, again, they're not for the faint at heart, um, but I think there's a lot of validity. And unfortunately, we can't do things like titrations like we can do in right, very controlled, managed research. So hopefully that got to some degree of answering your question. Um, I think on the front end of any... Um, the development or the design of a research bar needs to be well thought out in advance. Take your time, be fairly methodical, network with others, work to think long-term strategically because once it's built, it, you're kind of stuck with it, right? It's, it's, there, there for sure will be things you wished you would have done differently, but hopefully that list is pretty limited because it's, it, it is a long-term investment but a wise investment because there are, there are certainly some big nug nuggets that can be extracted and validated within a system. Yeah. Steve, maybe talk about then once the data is generated, then how do you go through that decision tree process of saying, okay, this is going to be applied, right? So um, do you have that written down? Have you worked with systems that has that written down or is that just kind of an internal check and then, you know, it's open for discussion within those leadership, you know, teams of saying, hey, we're going to apply this strategy or we're going to change this feeding program in this direction. What have you used in the past and what are you currently using to help make major decisions based off the data that you generated internally? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really what it's about. Right. So we 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 
designed a trial to the best of our ability. We executed the trial to the best of our ability. And then obviously you get the results. And so then it's, it's applying appropriate um, within a system economics. And that needs to be formalized. I would tell you that it could always be more formalized probably in every system. Um, but what I would say, I think the key to that is, right, we measure growth performance, feed disappearance, ultimately feed efficiency, cost per pound of gain, and income over feed costs. Probably the limitations become in some of these studies is how did we account for, and this is becoming harder and harder and not to go down a rabbit hole today, but collecting um, carcass data. If we don't collect carcass data, right, that we don't get the whole answer. And I think that's that's fairly important. So it's it really is about in a production system about hung pounds of carcass relative to the input costs. And so whatever trial we might have done, I think that's important. And so that's that's you know, wean to finish or feeder to finish studies. You know, obviously in sow studies, maybe the next layer of discussion needs to be did we follow those animals through, you know, the the subsequent parity. Again, not easier said than done, but to to your point, to your question, is once we have assembled all that information, I think we need to roll it up into an executive summary that's that, you know, those of us that are technically trained, A, probably one of our weaknesses are of our training is, is there's a lot of jargon. How do we simplify the jargon so that it's not, um, we, we, we don't have to do a lot of explaining at the at the executive level. And then it's boiled down to one or two or three metrics that we might debate to say, do we want to apply or not? And I think I, w- I would venture to suggest that maybe every company, every production system should have really a committee. And here there has been a committee formed where that all that data is assembled. All the economics are boiled down. There's an executive summary. That team and probably an individual within that team is accountable for getting all those that information rolled up and pulled together and then presented to really um, senior leadership. And then I think senior leadership can have a discussion and pull the trigger. I would like to think that, um, you know, so for example, when you look at income over feed costs, it would be nice if it were... um, right? The income of that is a, is a bit sloppy, right? The costs are, are easily measured in research and, and in production. The income sometimes is debatable, right? So there might be times where, right, no, this is no surprise to any of our listeners, but right in the summer, we typically expect 90 to $110 hogs, right? Winter, fall, winter, not so much typically, right? So there, we, we probably owe it to leadership to walk through and give maybe multiple scenarios of when uh, there is an adequate return on investment uh, for for the for the you know for the amount of spend in a given uh, uh, intervention or or strategy of whatever was imposed in in that experiment. Yeah, I always provide feedback to some of our suppliers on you know when they question. How do some things get incorporated and others don't when they kind of have the same data robustness behind them? One of those things is if you're able to reduce costs, it's a lot easier within a team and leadership team for that strategy or that technology to get through versus in a return over investment play as as you just described, right? Because that return or the income can always fluctuate, right? Right. Might be constant, but that income can vary. 
Um, so it may work in a research setting, P less than 0.05, right? Um, but, you know, in an economic setting, it may only work, you know, four out of 10 times or two out of 10 times. And does the system have the flexibility to then adjust to, to meet those four two out of 10 times, right? Right, right. Then the second thing I found helpful within those executive summaries, and that's a really great point um, that a lot of us need to be better at. I've started to use a start, stop, or keep at the very top. So we should start doing this, we should keep doing this, or we should stop doing this. And then after we've reviewed it, then I'll put, you know, we have started, we have stopped, or we have kept, you know, based off of this this research finding, basically. Just uh, what's the action item here, right? So Yes. Yeah, so you hit on a really, <laughs> you hit on a really good point. I think if we walk out of any meeting without action plans and timelines, it was probably a waste of time, right? And it doesn't matter if it's a research committee, uh, working with our production teams, going through closeouts, all those sort of things. What what are some one or two or three action plans? Who who's who's tied to that action, and and when do we expect that that action to be to be followed up on? And it's not to be right, Henri, but I think I think that's an effective business strategy to 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 really go down. So. Yeah. Yeah, so Steve, before we get to kind of our last fun questions here, I want to ask you in your new role, looking at the next six to nine months and how bleak it currently looks economically, what things do you think that, you know, you've identified and maybe the listeners on this podcast who are in the exact same position should be thinking about and identifying if they haven't already um, to help kind of survive and get through in the best possible situation between now and next summer? Yeah. Yeah. And, and and I probably won't point out any like specific items, but I mean, really anything that's gonna, uh, anything that isn't necessary is, is being highly scrutinized right now. And I'm not speaking to research. I'm speaking more from a, from an accounting production perspective. Right. And so we've gone back and anywhere from like diets to coveralls to boots to really say, okay, what can we get by with? Are there alternatives? what can be done. Um, and, and those are hard things for all, everybody, um, but necessary in, in these times because these are pretty tough times, right? From a research perspective, I think the things that are, that are going to the top of the list versus the bottom of the list are things that can, yeah, it can help reduce cost as opposed to increase revenue, right? So what are the things that are the drivers of, of, feed efficiency, right? It's probably becoming pretty redundant on this podcast and everything else, but what are all the things and, and really combing through all of the production data um, and practices to better understand. I mean, so for example, scrutinizing uh, all the closeouts and, or even um, active groups right now that are out of bounds in terms of feed disappearance relative to age I know you talked about that in, in, in one of the one of the podcasts. And so are there things going on there that we need to understand better? Um, but really anything anything oriented to costs are I think important. So so feed efficiency, but again, mortality, right? We um, mortality is is the number one um, drag on cost of production. No doubt feeds the number one cost. Um, and so things that are driving um, we recently did field experimentation and, and we'll be monitoring through SPC charting some decisions on 
um, some interventions. And so things that, that are influencing mortality are, are important as now as well. So um, I, I'd like to, so through that, that filter of research, um, I'd love to wave a magic wand right now and say um, we need to test and then ultimately someday apply uh, uh, pelleting as an example. The problem becomes that one becomes very multifactorial. How realistic, so in your filter of research, how realistic is it in the next two years to be able to uh, apply uh, pelleting to our system? And the reality is it's not. Um, the other thing is, is that becomes pretty multifactorial. How do you make a good pellet if you're going to make one? Um, what's the influence on things like ulcers and mortality rate, that sort of thing that then can offset your, your investment. So it's really everything around feed efficiency cost um, and, and, and maybe validating some of the, the major things we've made in, in changing up some of the, the um, uh, biologicals uh, in, in terms of cutting costs. You know, do, do they give us the same sort of responses? So it's time for our famous three. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Ivonic Animal Nutrition. We are sciencing the global food challenge. Healthy Farms by Bioverse. Your manure management experts. MS Gold. The best hygiene products in livestock farming. Swine management to the next level. Cloudfarms.com. Ivonic Animal Nutrition is committed to ensure food security and safety while reducing the ecological footprint of animal farming. Its products and services use evidence-based solutions that seek to promote animal welfare and reduce reliance on natural resources. All this is underpinned by long-standing industry partnerships and deep customer understanding. Ivonic's focus on efficiency, sustainable, healthy nutrition, and collaborations with livestock farming partners creates value for customers and consumers. Four questions to end on here. The first is, what's the biggest hurdle you've overcome that you're the most proud of, Steve? Oh, boy. I wasn't expecting that one. Um, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I think I'm going to say, uh, uh, I, so if you get back to personality styles, and we talk a lot about personality styles here, um, so I would be controller, which means like I study the snot out of something and will, but once I've made a decision, man, I'm dug in and, and I would say the being more, I, I through the school of hard knocks and what I'm thinking about is in the PD days, um, when, well, there's no way a virus could be infecting through feet, Right. Boy, oh boy, in 2013, 14, whenever that was, was, was my paradigm rocked and changed ultimately. But in the interim, I think I was fighting pretty hard that this can't be the case. And so I, what I would say is I think that taught me a life lesson that be more open to the things that, that you hold dear as a paradigm and, and be willing to think outside the box and be more open um, when others bring, even if it's anecdotal information to you. So. Now, second, what's your favorite pork recipe? Pork recipe. Oh boy. Uh, that's an easy one. I would say, um, a whole pork loin. Well, you can cut it in half cause we, our family probably can't eat a whole one. 
um, and and um, in, inject it uh, with um, uh, I don't even know what it's called. Basically, this this I call it fake butter from Hy-Vee. Just inject the crap out of it. It's like like uh, uh, and and then and then a slit down the middle and and real butter on top and then a, and then a little bit of um, seasoning on top and put it on the smoker for whatever 45 minutes or whatever to get it to 145 in my mind that's better than filet mignon so yeah that sounds amazing thanks for sharing i'll have to try that here soon uh third what's the best piece of advice or guidance you've given the past month okay um basically Basically, we win as a team, we lose as a team, and and how can we decide to be and be a more effective part of the team? And that that's pretty near and dear to my heart. There's nothing better than a high functioning team, um, but it's hard to get there. And how do we all pull the rope in the same direction? So that that was sort of advice I gave, but to get everybody there, including myself, right? We, again, back to this idea that we all have dug in paradigms and, and, and to listen to each other and to empathize and to work together of, of the biggest bottlenecks to the next layer and level of success. Um, but yeah, that, that'd be my answer and getting there, advising versus getting there are two different things. And it doesn't matter what, what the advice is, right? So, we all gotta. We all gotta do our part. Yes. Yeah. Talking and walking are two different actions, right? Right. Right. Okay. So, lastly, then, if there is one thing, Steve, and and I, I know I've picked your brain a lot of times, and and have valued your mentorship throughout the years. So, if there is one thing that you could pass on from your work or your career efforts here to our listeners, what would that be? In one word, I would say humility. If you if you want me to expound upon that a little bit, I I go back to. I think we go we go to scientific meetings and and right we hear each other use big words. Uh, part of it is I don't know many big words, but but right I I I think we run in danger zone when we come back home. We get into barns. Um, and, and, and we want to look like the expert, but I think that actually divides people and divides, divides teams. I think it's important that we use the vernacular and the, and the words at the, uh, uh, know your, right. Know your audience. So, so use the same, same sort of street words you might use with your buddies in the barn, right. When we go to animal science, then we can talk that you know, those sort of words, but, uh, yeah, that, that would be, that would probably be my biggest life lesson and, and, and piece of advice. I try to impart on people. Yeah. That, thanks for passing that along. Steve, thanks for your time today. Uh, this was a great conversation and, uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the swine it podcast and I hope you check out other episodes and future episodes to come. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you.